Philippians 4, 2 through 7. And this is where I need help. I plead with Yodia, and I plead with Syntec, Syntec, Mark, um, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, give thank- with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the peace of and the God of peace will be with you. Now, that was the first time I've ever known Julie Vaughn to be unprepared. <laughs> but it was probably because I forgot to tell her. <laughs> uh, I think uh, we somehow assumed you'd just know. <laughs> yeah. Well, let us pray, shall we? Uh, Father in heaven, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. May this passage of your word shine on our lives today. Illumine the way for us. Guide us forward. Speak to us now by your Holy Spirit. We sit at your feet ready to learn from him. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I could use the choicest words in English, and I still would not be able to satisfactorily uh, e- express my, the emotions that I feel on this day. As I said in the first service, it's like so many seasons of my life are, you know, coming together uh, into this day. And it's, it's just a, an incredibly, incredibly special day. And uh, really what we are celebrating is so much more than just the uh, St. Paul Cultural Center, this building. And uh, indeed, this is so. And Let me just say before I begin this sermon, thank you for being here. Whether you've come from halfway around the world to, uh, to just be with us for this weekend, which some of you have, incredibly. Uh, whether you've uh, been on the Seven Churches tour and have stayed on for this weekend, extended your time away from home. Or whether you live here in Antalya and serve the Lord day in and day out. Thank you for being here. 
Presence is a powerful thing. And your presence touches me deeply today. And Renata, thank you for being here. And especially for uh, agreeing to marry me 34 years ago. Not today, but next month is our 34th wedding anniversary. Renata and I had an unusual wedding reception. You know, with my seven older brothers and sisters, uh, all of them, you know, they had dancing at their wedding reception. And I think probably most of you can't imagine a wedding reception without dancing. But there was one big deterrent to our having dancing at our wedding reception, and that was that, uh, that I couldn't dance. I can run hurdles just fine. I, I, can, um, I, I did quite well on the soccer field or on the football field, but, uh, but when it comes to dancing, I'm, well, I'm a failure, I guess you could say. And it really gave her not a pause when it came to the question of marrying me because of that reason. But, uh, and so at our wedding reception, we had a dinner, and then we had special music, and then we had words of wisdom. An elderly but affectionate couple, Ken and Jean Hansen, were the first to give us words of wisdom that day. Ken was one of the founders of the Service Master Corporation, and believe it or not, Ken arranged uh, for me to come to Turkey initially back in the early 1990s as a Service Master representative. And uh, in 1992, uh, I managed to uh, arrange a deal between 4U Construction Company here in Istanbul and the Service Master Company, and uh, the commission from that deal was invested in this building some years later. Anyway, Ken and Jean read to Renata and me two love poems by Robert and Elizabeth Barrett Browning, and I can still see and hear Ken and Jean reading those poems to us 70, pardon me, not 70, but 34 years ago. <laughs> Did you leave some contagion in this pulpit? <laughs> yeah, uh, seems like 70 years ago. <laughs> But uh, Ken and Jean's passionate love for one another uh, still speaks to me today. The next one to speak was a man named Ralph De La Vega, uh, a good family friend of Renata's. And uh, he stood up and gave us words of wisdom uh, in which he employed the metaphor of sailing. Very skillfully done and um, even today, when I uh, am walking along or driving along the Mediterranean Sea and I see a sailboat out there, uh, along with Robin here, who's an avid sailor, I wish that I was out there sailing. But I also think of Ralph and the points that he made based upon 
the metaphor of sailing. Renata and I had an opportunity to visit Ralph and uh, his wife, Jean, uh, just earlier this year. He's now 91 years old, and his wife is stricken with Alzheimer's disease. But every day, he leads her, clinging to him uh, fearfully. Every day, he leads her on a three-mile walk. They live in Los Angeles, California, and their uh, love for one another touches and inspires Renata and me to no end. And then a woman named uh, Tirzi Riley gave us words of wisdom. She was the director of the school at which Renata was teaching at the time. And she used the words of the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, to give us her words of wisdom. Next, it was Renata's father's turn to give us his words of wisdom And he did the strangest thing, which uh, I couldn't really figure out back then. He got up from his chair. He walked to the microphone. And then perhaps he made the mistake of looking at his big brown-eyed daughter before he began. The apple of his eye. And then he looked at the groom this kid in an adult body (laughs) who would before too long take his daughter and their future grandchildren far, far away from his home and his protection. And tears welled up to the point of his being unable to speak. And so without saying a word, he simply returned to his chair and sat down. His words of wisdom, they were not a flow of words, but a flow of tears. And that flow, too, was not without effect. It conveyed a wisdom of its own. Last of all, it was my father's turn to speak to us words of wisdom. And I honestly wondered what he would say. After serving on submarines throughout World War II, my father got out of the Navy with just a few hundred dollars to his name. He bought some diving equipment and he began hunting for diving jobs. And soon he founded Bultima Dock and Dredge Company which 30 years later, he sold for $7.5 million, which in today's economy would be worth far many times more than that. And I don't tell you that to impress you, but I tell you that to help you appreciate better what happened next. This relatively young multimillionaire got into, among other ventures, land development, which at first went pretty well, but his last big land development venture was a disaster, mainly because two fellow Christian investors in the project, men whom he had trusted on handshakes, turned on him. And they took their money and made off when they sensed trouble on the horizon 
and my father was left to bear by himself the consequences and a humiliating bankruptcy followed. And it was the most difficult season of my father's life. So what would he say? This man who felt at the time very much like a failure. What words of wisdom would he give? When Paul wrote his letter to the first century Philippian church, he had to give them some words of wisdom. Most likely when he writes this letter, he is under house arrest in Rome. And the year is A.D. 61 or or thereabouts. And a believer named Epaphroditus has come to Paul from the Philippian congregation, bearing gifts and willing to serve Paul to the extent that he could. Unfortunately, he got very ill. And uh, that's I won't get, get into that. But Epaphroditus also came with concerning news about the Philippian church. Persecution uh, arising from uh, social pressure to worship the emperor, that was ongoing. Paul expected that. It was no surprise given that Philippia, uh, Philippi was a, a very devoted Roman colony and uh, city. But what caught Paul off guard was the fact that, according to Epaphroditus, two of the influential women in the church, Euodia and Syntyche, You were close, Julie. You were very close. They were quarreling and consequently dividing the church. This situation demanded from Paul not only great wisdom, but utmost tact, so as to restore the unity of this fledgling and fragile church. So what would Paul say? What words of wisdom would he give them? We find his words regarding them and their quarrel in Philippians chapter uh, 4, verses 2 and 3. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Now, verse 2 here is uh, is really a a nitty-gritty summary of that magnificent passage uh, earlier in this letter, chapter 2, verses 6 through 7. Just by mentioning that citation, uh, I'm sure most of you know what is there. In other words, that beautiful picture of Christ's humility in chapter 2 It is meaningless if it is not manifested in Christ's body, the local church. To agree with each other in chapter 4, verse 2, is from the same Greek wording as be like-minded in chapter 2, verse 2. And the implication is that the attitude of Christ is at stake in the relationship of these women. Just as the attitude of Christ is at stake in our relationships with 
one another. We must be humble. We must be humble toward one another. So Paul addresses them skillfully with perfect balance. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche. That word balance is important to Paul. And he urges them to agree in the Lord. And he also calls upon one loyal yoke fellow. This is singular, by the way. To help these ladies not gloss over their disagreement, but to work through their disagreement. It's clear in verse 3 that these women, whom uh, Paul calls to humility... Uh, have been steadfast in the faith and in laboring for the gospel. The verb, therefore, uh, contended at my side is sin athleo. We get the word athletics from it, athlete. In other words, these women have been like athletes for the gospel, working alongside Paul and his other co-workers. But a wedge of pride had gotten in there. A wedge of pride had come between them, and they were splitting the Philippian church into the Iodia faction and into the Syntyche faction. It's a good thing this sort of thing doesn't happen anymore today, right? Mm. And Paul gently says, enough is enough. Then Paul returns with passion to a theme that threads throughout the letter, joy. Verses 4 and 5, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Paul uses a trimmed language here for emphasis. And notice that now... Three times in this passage, we have this key phrase, in the Lord. Or in verse 7, in Christ Jesus. In fact, we have that same phrase, in the Lord, three times previously in this letter. Obviously, it's a, a theme in this letter. And to be in the Lord makes all the difference. Amen? Living in the sphere of Christ's lordship equips us with overcoming power. We can overcome disagreements with fellow believers. We can rejoice in the midst of persecution. And we can have inner peace when we are tempted to be anxious. Let your gentleness or your kindness be evident to all, even and perhaps especially when you are tempted to retaliate for some wrong that has been done to you. This command, friends, has guided me again and again throughout these past 20 years. If it had not been for the gentleness of Jesus Christ working in and through me purely 
purely by his grace, not by my power. This building would have either been lost to some other purpose, uh, to some other owner and purpose. Twice this building was almost lost. Or this building would have never been built in the first place. That's how important following a command like this is. And it's always been a good motivator for me, and I trust also for you, to remember that the Lord is near. Certainly he is nearer now than when we first believed. However, we needn't wait until the Lord's return in order to commune with him. The next verses uh, makes this clear. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The negated first verb here, be anxious, suggests a context of opposition or persecution, um, similar to what we have in Matthew 10, verse 19. There we read, when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. And Luke 12, verse 11 says essentially the same thing. The point is that even when the worst of circumstances have happened to you, or when the worst of circumstances may happen to you, even, even then, let us not be anxious, but let us pray, pray, pray. Not out of a spirit of deservedness, but out of a spirit of thankfulness for the almighty God is sovereign, dear people. He is sovereign and he is on our side. He is on our side. There's so much more that could be said about these verses as well as about verses eight and nine, which I don't have time to get into today. But we've gone over enough now to allow a core idea to emerge from this passage. And it is this, whatsoever our circumstances, let us dwell in the Lord. Let us work through our disagreements with fellow believers in the Lord. Let us experience inner peace and protection in the Lord. Let us rejoice in the Lord. And if, and if Paul hasn't said it enough in this letter yet, he says it in chapter 3 too, rejoice in the Lord. He says it yet again, rejoice. I love uh, Eugene Peterson's translation of uh, 
chapter 4, verse 4 in the message. He writes, celebrate God all day, every day. I mean, revel in him. I mean, Paul did this. When Paul celebrated the center, Paul celebrated the Lord. When Paul celebrated the center, he celebrated the Lord. The Lord was Paul's center. And so, dear friends, as we celebrate today the first 20 years of the St. Paul Cultural Center, let us first and foremost celebrate the Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you for all your amens. You're bringing it out of me. On that memorable day in uh, November 19... 85, when my father reached the microphone to share with us his, his words of wisdom. To this day, I remember what he shared word for word. He crossed his hands in front of him. And then he said, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And with that, he returned to his seat and sat down, having said the wisest words of all that evening at that danceless but delightful (laughs) wedding reception so long ago. Let us pray. We praise you, O God, that you are sovereign and kind. Help us to contend harmoniously with one another for the sake of the gospel. May there always be a spirit of celebration and appreciation among us. And may we commune with you through thick and thin. Fill us with your peace, we pray. Guard us with your peace. In Christ's name, amen.